And however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC. Your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be, and that is completely free. DLC, of course, the show all about games. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. Also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I am your host, Jeff Kanata. That's spelled with two N's and one T. And I am joined, as always, by my friend slash co-host slash nemesis. The guy who's warm in the daytime, but a little chilly at night, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff. That's right. We were talking about that pre-show. Also, let me take this moment really quick, listeners. Um... Now that Halloween is in the rearview mirror, I would hopefully like to be the first podcast host to wish you all a happy 4th of July. Once Halloween's done, I move straight to 4th of July. Mm. It is 4th of July season in this house. We've got firecrackers. we got 4th of July coffee cups. I mean, we are going all, we're playing all our favorite 4th of July songs just nonstop up in here. Yeah. I'm so excited. It is 4th season. I feel, you know? like, uh, I feel like the stores moved to the 4th of July merchandise earlier and earlier, that, you know, every year. I mean, the way I see it, there's only two days on the calendar. The 4th of July and almost 4th of July, you know? So just like, boom, it's going off. If there's one thing I know about you, it is your uh, unending and uh, insatiable patriotism. Thank you. I wear Rocky Balboa <laughs> boxing shorts. <laughs> All day, every day, just because I celebrate the in this house, there is no fifth of July, you know. All right, there is yeah, only I hear the you. Fourth. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. so happy well, fourth, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we uh, we got a lot to talk about because in this pre fourth of July episode, uh, here in the middle of November or the early part of November, we we're in the full on video game season, tis the season, I like to say. For video games and uh, fireworks and the 4th of July. (laughs) We're, you know, we're formulating our games of the year list. I'm trying to like play all the stuff. You know, it's a thing. It's, it's the thing that time of year. And we have an awesome guest joining us this week to talk about games and all the news that's been hitting. You know, the DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, I'm so excited because DLC stands for definitive listening for Cylons because from the robot radio network, we have Tom Blair joining us for the first time. Tom, welcome to the show. Welcome uh, to the show for me as well. Um, I have no idea what to say about Cylons. I'm all of a sudden I'm on Battlestar Galactica and I've got like uh, headphones on looking for Cylons. This is, well, this is amazing. This is amazing. Welcome. I needed something that started this. with C that yeah. indicated yeah. a robot. So yeah. that's no, what I, I did. It. This is great. Yeah. Um, you've inspired me to launch a new podcast called <laughs> the Battlestar Galactica Lorecast. And I, I, I considered going with Cyborg, but I felt like that, mm-hmm. you know, it was it wasn't wasn't close enough. Man, Cylon's an actual robot, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I like it. You you like you hit me from the side in a way that I just didn't even know how to respond. And I love it. <laughs> that's what i like to do we like to throw our guests off balance right at the beginning of the show it always makes things better um very excited to have you on and we got a lot to get to so let's jump right in and start the way we always do with story of the week story of the week it's the story of the week story of the week it's the story of the week 
Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration by sending us an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. That's also where you can send comments or questions or your own reviews if you'd like to review a game that maybe we've missed or overlooked. You can send it to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. We love hearing from you. Also, if you want to join our awesome community, there's not one but two places that you can hang out and submit stories as well. One is in our subreddit. That's 5x5dlc.reddit.com. And the other is on our Discord, which is also 5x5dlc on the old Discord. Great places to meet folks, like-minded folks, cool people. Check them out. Tom, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? Well, guys, um, I am an avid uh, Bethesda fan, and uh, I, I, uh, I'm I, very excited about the um, returning to Skyrim for the umpteenth time. Yeah. Yeah. With, Which uh, time is this for you, by the way? Uh, I, I, I think I've lost count at mm. this point. Uh, but the anniversary edition is, is coming out, and they finally announced the pricing for the anniversary edition. And, of course, the internet is... Uh, uh, they're kind of, you know, pitchforks and torches about the pricing a little bit, a little bit, because it's $49 for yeah. the brand new copy of Skyrim Anniversary Edition. And I don't know what I was expecting. I think I was thinking it was going to be at least 10 bucks less for the new version. But of course, you know, I mean, they're doing the business thing, right? Where like if the product sells, you price it to the point where people are going to pay for it because they're going to make money doing that because the side of the company that wants to make money is going to price it so that they make money you know <laughs> like well right? there's, there is an upgrade option there's an, a 1999 upgrade option if you already own the skyrim special edition this edition of course yeah not special just an anniversary anniversary right Nothing special about it d d distinction between the special edition and this edition which mm -hmm. only demarks a passage of time well oddly <laughs> yeah. enough though yeah. it celebrates the anniversary since you bought the last version like that's the anniversary <laughs> right <laughs> right um, if, if any sorry if any franchise has to have data or not franchise i should say game if any game should have data on how many people are going to buy a skew it has to be skyrim at this point yeah. right like they've done it so many times they have to know what price point sells i feel like yeah, I, so, I think you're 100 percent right about that. And I, I mean, I, I have a very diverse background and I've worked in marketing. I've I've worked in and around. Um, I've worked for startup companies. I've worked around data. I've I've uh, managed SEO departments and, and, and these kinds of things. And I think you're right. I think that the marketing team at Bethesda knows what price point will sell. And I think that they're right. I think people will buy this for forty nine dollars. <laughs> I think that people on brand new consoles on an Xbox Series X and a PS5 are still going to buy this for $49 because people are itching to play Elder Scrolls and they know that it's going to be another four years until we get four or five years until we get an Elder Scrolls six. Yeah. And you know, and yeah, people are still playing Elder Scrolls online. I'm still playing Elder Scrolls online, but I really want to play a single player Elder Scrolls. And there's some new content in here. There's, there's some mods. People are still going to be modding Skyrim. Yeah, and, and you know, they they are including some next gen upgrades, as you mentioned, some uh some graphical tweaks. 
not stuff that you couldn't already sort of mod into the game. Um, but there's also some, I guess, some um, faster loading times, which mm-hmm. is which is cool, especially for that game. My goodness, I I have rotated items in loading screens in that game more than I've played other games. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yes, <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Uh, but. 50 bucks. I, I think I think the $50 price point is aimed not at folks like the three of us, or at least you and I, Tom. Uh, I don't know where Christian stands on this, but oh, yeah. if, if something is is less than 50 bucks, I don't buy it. Like I say 120 bucks or I'm not <laughs> yeah. interested. No, I know. know? That's, like... that's the uh, that's your 4th of July promise. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, <laughs> the what I'm what I'm what I mean to say is I don't think it's aimed at people that already have a copy of Skyrim. I mean, maybe maybe it's a nostalgia buy, but I think this is trying to get get new players, right? People that yeah, yeah. maybe just got into gaming in the last ten years or whatever. Well, it's, it's been a decade. I mean, I'm, yeah. think, I'm thinking I'm thinking about it this way. My son is 11 years old. Yeah, he was one when Skyrim came out. Right. Right. Like I'm. Yeah, itching it took him so to long him, to beat it. <laughs> right. Like I'm itching to get him into Skyrim. I would love for him to be old enough to play and really enjoy. I mean, he could play yeah. it now. I mean, technically it's T rated, but you know, like I would love for him or is it M? I don't even remember. Um, but there's a generation who wasn't old enough at the launch of this game to play it. Right. And yeah. but here's the question now, then. But here's here's the question then, Tom. Do they need this version to play it? Well, they don't. They don't. But the the buzz of marketing this version might get them uh, to play it. Right? That's a marketing question. Yeah, the That's, new and, thing and they versus know that. they know. Ask that. your ask your dad for that old game that he loved. <laughs> right. <laughs> this right. Is... It makes it seem new, and then they tack on, you know, like uh, you know, oh, there's X amount. I think there's. I don't remember the number. It's 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 in the article, but there's X amount of new content in the the store for all the stuff that you get wrapped into the anniversary edition plus the you know it runs at 60 frames on your 4k tv plus you know and if you're not a pc player that's a big deal because on pc you could do that but you couldn't do that on your consoles before you know and you're going to be able to mod it with all these new things you know on the on the store and you couldn't do it with some of this stuff before so that's new and you know if the kids in the playground are talking about doing all the cool new things on Skyrim, then maybe you want to be part of that club. So you're going to ask for it for Christmas for 50 bucks. It'll be interesting to see. I don't know if we'll actually get sales information on this, this game, but uh, I think, I think a number of people will buy it. I don't think it's going to be in the, you know, NPDs, uh, but I think they're, they're milking this cow for as long as they possibly can clearly. Right. Right. And uh, it's a great game. I mean, it's a great game. And, and if new players uh, join, jump in because of this new marketing push. That's great. Um, but I, I do think 50 bucks for a 10 year old game with some, uh, you know, a, a new veneer of shine is, is a little bit much. I, if this was a, you know, some extra, extra something, some, you know, some remastering, some actual, you know, but mm-hmm. the, the, the graphical improvements, I think, you know, modders have been doing, for many years now. So it's not, I don't think that you're going to, it's going to look like a modern game. Um, I, I think, I think Bethesda needs to learn from Nintendo and that's re-release a 10 year old game for 60 bucks. There you go. And then only sell it for two weeks and then get rid of it. And <laughs> right. then, you know, like that's what, yeah. 
No, what you need is a want. subscription that, and then an, an expansion <laughs> pass that only includes Skyrim. And doesn't run the games well. And costs you more than the initial the- ex- <laughs> subscription itself. Uh, yeah. I will own up and say, here, I'll roll over and pull it. I did not subscribe to the Nintendo expansion pass, but I did buy one of these stupid N64 controllers when they were available. To keep in the, in the box? box. I have no, nothing to, I have no reason. I was Decoration. hoping the emulation is garbage on it. So I, I couldn't even, I bought it. Like, could you buy these when they were first available? And then all the reports were like, hey, they, Nintendo can't even emulate their own games. And I was like, well, this will sit on a shelf. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty box. <laughs> I mean, it's red. I don't know. <laughs> it's not even printed it's just kind of a red box yeah I, I do a lot of research around the content that i create and i was looking at google trends for youtube and i thought this was really interesting skyrim still trends higher than elder scrolls or eso or elder scrolls online hmm. for youtube searches i believe and it has and has for years i believe it i i think i feel like that tracks i feel like elder scrolls as a brand was never really what they pushed. You know, it was Oblivion. It was Morrowind. It was Skyrim. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even ESO, which is constantly releasing new content every single year. Yeah. Yeah. And and has, I think, 18 million players as of their last announcement. I guess they're just not searching on YouTube, those players. They're too busy playing an MMO. <laughs> yes. Yeah, maybe so. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's it's kind of amazing. So to, to say that, like, Skyrim isn't, like still going to get some attention you know i i, I would it's be definitely very- a, it's a 300 pound gorilla you know yeah. it is it is a massive temple game in the history of video games yeah uh, and and you know i hope that uh starfield lives up i hope that the next older scrolls game you know happens in my lifetime uh, yeah. yeah all of these things i look forward to um anyway so christian what is your story of the week there's some good stuff, but I feel like I need to stay on brand. I don't know if this is the juiciest story this week, but what I want to talk about is it's officially out, and it is the Netflix of games. Um, is now officially out, and lo and behold, guess who did it? Netflix. Um, <laughs> Netflix became... <laughs> We've been looking for the Netflix of games, and all we had to do was look at Netflix. Was wait for Netflix. There were rumors of them doing it and even less than rumors there were acquisitions, um Night School Studios, um was a recent acquisition by Netflix. Um but we hadn't seen any games come out uh and now we're I guess we've seen them. They came out on Android. Now there are rumors about how the uh, model will work on iOS. But on Android, it's it's in the app itself, the Netflix app. And then there's a games tab where you will then download them from the Google Play Store, but they can be launched. I think it's all, I don't have, I haven't tried it on my Pixel, to be honest. Um, but then you can launch it from the app. I think you can also click to download in the app, but there's still bespoke downloads within the Google Play Store. And so currently, the Netflix of games is not streaming. It is mobile games that you download and run off of your device. Um, the rumor for when it launches on iOS is that you will need to go into the app store to download each game individually because of how Apple restricts um, uh, game bundle launchers or, or download services. Um, but then once you download it, you could launch it from within the Netflix app. I just find it very curious that their foray into it isn't streaming. 
it makes sense to me that it's mobile. My understanding is the bulk, uh, or I think it is the bulk of Netflix um, consumption is done on mobile devices. And a lot of what they're trying to do right now is maintain um, eyeballs within the app on mobile. Like that is a big corporate objective. And so having games in that same app makes sense. But well, I think that answers your th- question because you don't need to stream them. But you could stream better games. Yeah, you could. Like that's right. When people yeah. talk about the Netflix of gaming. I feel like it was kind of twofold. One was the subscription. You have them all, which this provides. You're not paying for the games. The games are, I should clear that up. I should say the games are full games. You download them. No microtransactions. It's similar to Apple Arcade in that regard. Like the, you get the game, right? And that's what's so great about it. You're, and, you, and it's all included in your base Netflix subscription. Yes. That's yes. what's so, so great is there's no additional Netflix game expansion pass for your right. subscription. <laughs> right. You, you know, need the expansion pass. They're trying to keep you engaged in that app and they're doing it by using their properties. Um, well, you that, know, so yeah, so that the, games out of the, the good, the good and from my perspective, the good news is this is exactly the business model I want as far as, you know, the sort of the Metro or Metroid prime. <laughs> I said Metroid good, prime, the Amazon prime uh, <laughs> methodology, which is like, Hey, do you like Amazon Prime? We're just going to keep adding things to it, to the, this thing you already subscribed to. I'm into that. Just keep giving me more value for the money that I'm already paying. Yes, well, then, thumbs up. They'll raise the price later for that. Like, they always do. Uh, like, probably. no, Prime I mean, is this much, and you're like, well, yes, okay. <laughs> right. But I like the fact that this is Netflix. I'm, you know, you if you are subscribed to Netflix, you just get this also. The bad news is, I don't care about any of these games. This is not a, uh, this is not leaping into the deep end of becoming the Netflix of games. This is dipping their toe in to see how it feels. And the games are pretty uninteresting to me. Um, and you, yeah, you said they're leveraging their properties as like two of the like five games they're launching with. Two of them are Stranger Things games, which is pretty funny. Um, so, I don't think, you know, we'll see if this becomes more robust and more interesting and the games themselves uh, are sort of more, um, m- you know, mainstream gaming, game, you know, big sort of AAA titles. I think you're absolutely right in the, your analysis in that they are, there's, they just want to keep people in the app and they're servicing sort of more casual gamers anyway, people that wouldn't necessarily go out and buy video games, but hey, oh man, I like Stranger Things, here's a game oh, cool, I'm on my phone, I'll play that. People who maybe don't self-identify as quote-unquote gamers. Right. Um, so I, I don't know. Tom, what's your take on this? I, you know, um, Christian was talking about data and analytics earlier. I wonder how much Netflix has data and analytics from the rest of our phone usage on this because if these are casual game players, I wonder if this demographic also matches casual netflix show watchers and what the crossover there is so what would you consider a casual netflix show watcher so i'm I'm not a casual netflix show watcher i'm somebody who when the new the new season of the witcher comes on i binge watch the season of the witcher and then i don't watch netflix again until something else comes on that i'm specifically interested in mm. i'm not somebody who keeps netflix on in the background and rewatches stuff 
Um, A casual Netflix show watcher is somebody who I would I would say is somebody who like like there's there's they've stated that somebody most of their views are on their mobile devices. Somebody like that is somebody who is sitting on their couch or at the bus stop or uh, laying in their bed watching reruns of Friends or whatever show and and just rewatching content over and over and over again because they just like to rewatch content. Those people are more casual TV viewers. Mm-hmm. They're, they're rewatching Orange is the New Black for the fourth time because they just love the show. So they're constantly in there. They're constantly on their phones. And so I think there's probably a crossover between the demographic that is kind of a casual Netflix viewer and a casual someone who is constantly on their phone playing games. And so what they're thinking is if they can take that viewer, that casual game player and get them into their app more often, then they're going to be taking them out of other people's games, other people's apps and into their app more often. Right. I, I do think that is the focus is keeping them in their app while you're in your app in while a person is in the Netflix app. Netflix is able to control what that person sees and is and is exposed to. I think a big part of that is behind each, you know, digital storefront as well. Like you open up Steam and I want to just go to my library to play Guardians of the Galaxy. But the first thing that comes up is the splash page of what's for sale and then a pop up of like the Halloween sale. And now Steam is in control of what my eyes are looking at because I'm using their launcher. And I think the same thing, you know, I I use Apple Music and you open it up and it's not doesn't always go right back to the last playlist you were on. And now I'm in their environment. And I think Netflix wants to keep you in their environment. So let's say you really do, you know, whatever game they create that becomes their house of cards of games, right? Like the first essential thing if they ever have one you go to play stranger thing threes stranger things version or you know whatever it is crossy road stranger things and when you open up the app it also pops up and says hey tom witcher season two uh november 22nd and you're like oh okay you know i just want to keep you in that ecosystem and keep you from switching apps to do something else i am curious as you mentioned tom like what is it you know, they have some analytics of who their assumed consumer is and the casual game is who best serves them or, mm-hmm. and maybe it's an and or, but or if that's just the easiest game to do versus like, and we're launching with Genshin Stranger Things, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's like a <laughs> yeah. big, robust mobile game. Maybe, maybe. I, I think they have personas. Um, and in marketing, you have a persona. You have, you have these characterizations of individuals and a specific persona is a type of person it's a person who binge watches shows and also uh spends x amount of time playing certain types of games um my persona is not the the demographic for this i am not their target market i play hearthstone and that's basically the only game i play on my phone (laughs) right that's that's my phone game and when i watch netflix it's on my tv and i don't binge watch shows right so this is not going to work for me. And it pre- probably doesn't matter what games they put on here. It's still not going to work for me. So I'm not the target of this. What uh, if you were a housewife in Nebraska who didn't know they were good at Tetris <laughs> until Netflix gave it to you? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Um, but I, I think they have a sense of who that is. And so there's something about the reason why they started with this lineup of games is because there's there's at least some crossover for the the target demographic that they're going for. 
And so that, that's just what I'm getting at is that there's, yeah. th- there, this is not unintentional. There's something right. here. Yeah, I think that's clear. And I, and it, I mean, just to really, re- just to reiterate, the games here are uh, Stranger Things 1984, Stranger Things 3, Shooting Hoops, Card Blast, and <laughs> Teeter Up. The last three of those, by the way, sound like the most generic games ever made. Um, so it, it is very much a specific persona, as you said, although I wish they would have launched with persona. Um, (laughs) but they did buy night school studio, which is oxen free after party oxen free two. And I feel like that game could fit very, I could see like stranger things, oxen free. Not that that is what necessarily night school will do, but that style of game I think could work really well also. Yeah. I think this is a toe dip. I think, I think the, we will see a more robust entry into this market if this goes well and, and as time passes, because, um, you know, I think the potential is there for them to go bolder and, and deeper than, than just sort of casual games. And I think there, I wouldn't put it past them to do so. I think that there's a, and I think that would be pretty exciting actually too. And then maybe they do venture into streaming. You know, I, I just don't think this is the full strategy on display. I think this is just the beginning. Do you think this will be the the new generation of like movie tie-in games that we used to get like 20 years ago? (laughs) Well, I mean, I think, yes. I mean, I think that's already (laughs) sort of happened on mobile, right? Is that you you see these kind of shovelware uh, IP grabs, uh, just trying to get any attention. It'll be from their studio, right? Yeah, yeah. That's basically what these Stranger Things games are already, right? Yeah, and, and, and there's much more, as Christian was pointing out, there's much more opportunity for the audience that already likes that IP to see it because they're already in that infrastructure. They're already in that app. So I do love, and we can move off this, you know, we'll certainly learn more about it as it goes on, but I do love that it is kind of that Apple arcade approach of like, these aren't gotcha microtransaction filled. Cause so much of that IP caching on mobile is like, yes, here's, um, I don't know. uh, I got a, here's kids show. I don't want to name a specific kid show. Cause I don't know, but like, here's kids show game. And your kid's like, I want to play kids show game. Yeah. And it's like, great. Give me a dollar. Yeah, exactly. Dad, can I have a dollar? Here's your favorite yeah. character. Give me a dollar. And it's like, oh. <laughs> yeah, like literally the character in the show is advising your kids against this kind of behavior. <laughs> you know, we're teaching <laughs> lessons in our show that our game is violating. <laughs> yeah. But no, I, I'm 100% with you. Like, I, mm-hmm. give, me, give me companies whose business model is just to get me to subscribe. Um because then they're they're not going to try to feed me ads constantly. They're not going to try to you know get me to get me to keep paying microtransactions constantly. And I hope they stick to that. I hope they continue with that yeah. that methodology. Because the other way lies uh, oblivion, <laughs> uh, not the game oblivion. Which again, is not, not persona, but... not oblivion. <laughs> <laughs> shooting hoops is the game you can play right now uh all right i mean if christian stayed on brand i feel like my on brand story of the week would be that there are more delays everybody uh, but this if you is haven't next heard year, this is too late this is no longer your prediction jeff this is outside of your prediction window just, just be clear that's how good my prediction was is that it has ripple effects um marvel's midnight suns which just got announced already moving off of its uh, spring 2022 re- release into a late 2022 uh, with a with a press release. And then uh, the massive, 
the massive slow motion train wreck that is Blizzard Entertainment right now uh, also announced that Diablo 4 and Overwatch 2 have been delayed past the year 2022. So uh, 2023 at the earliest for either of those tentpole games. But that's not going to be my story of the week. I just figure if folks tune in to hear about news from us, they should know about those more delays and how I continue to be right in my prediction. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think one of the most interesting stories of the week uh, for the future of gaming, this EA announcement that they are, uh, they're going to be an NFT company that non-fungible tokens will be a big part of their business strategy going forward. Ubisoft has already said very similar things. Uh, It's clear that these big heavy hitter publishers are looking at the NFT market and uh, see growth potential there and seem to be identifying a desire in their audiences to participate. Um, The football network that I'm associated with, the fan-controlled football network, announced a group of NFT football teams and and a venture into NFTs there as well. So, you know, I'm sort of involved in this because of my employment by that company. Um, It's a fascinating thing. It's also super scary from a consumer's perspective, in my opinion, because this seems to be moving really, really fast. And there's a lot of ways that people get scammed in the NFT world pretty uh, severely. Tom, you brought this, uh, you put this in the show doc. Um, what is your take on EA talking about pay to earn and NFTs in, in video games? I, I think specifically talking about Madden and some of the other sports franchises, but I think broadly speaking, this is going to be a industry initiative that we're going to see in the next five to 10 years pretty intensely. Yeah. Um, well, I've got a few thoughts. I, I think that this was a, uh, response to a question that was, uh, came about due to steam previously like the week before yeah um, saying no saying no to yeah. this uh which i think is a wise thing to do at this point because like you said it's kind of the wild west right now when it yeah. comes to M- M- you know nfts and um just uh crypto coins in general we don't we don't know what's going on with a lot of these how secure some of them are um i personal story one of the startups i worked at five years ago uh was in working in the realm of crypto. Uh, after I left, uh, things went south with some of the people running that. And uh, turns out that there was some shady stuff going on in that company. And it's, you know, and none of us knew that when yeah. we were working there as employees. So this is, you know, th- there's some shady stuff going on here. So for Andrew Wilson, the, the CEO of EA, to say like, hey, this is on our, our radar, you know, and, and he's quoted as saying here, and, and this is one of the quotes, the play to earn or the NFT conversation is still really, really early. There's at some level a lot of hype about it. I do think it will be an important part of the future of our industry on a go forward basis, but it's still early. So obviously they're keeping their eyes open to, uh, for it. But I, I get I get the potential here. This idea that like you could have an M- NFT of your favorite player doing like their most famous play of the game in Super Bowl, whatever. And you could earn that through playing Madden. And that could be something you win by being the best person who ever did X or Y in the game. You know, like I I totally get the the appeal of that. But at the same time, how are you trusting that that's something that's legitimate and that they're not just going to, 
reprint that as the, you know, slightly larger sized version of the thing on next year's copy. Right. You know, or, you know, like there's just, it's too, it's too vague at this point to know that that's a legitimate thing. Also, how do you know that they aren't just going to, you know, manufacture these and then sell them or that you're going to be able to, I don't know, uh, the, the potential here for using this as a, uh, a means of, uh, gambling. Well, I think it very much will be, (laughs) I think think it very much will be. I mean, we've already seen, uh, you know, the NFL and other major sports leagues be open to gambling. I think gambling and, and, you know, DraftKings and all these other places are, are the wall to wall ads you see now around any sports event or sports website or whatever. I think, you know, we are, we are seeing the only the very beginning of how gambling and wagering is going to take over this country. Um, and I think NFTs are going to be a big part of that. I also think, you know, there, there's a, a super cool factor. It's, it's good to be skeptical, which I am. There's a super cool factor in all of this. And if, and if somebody nails it and does it right, it can be, I think, I mean, imagine it like, you know, if when achievements were first revealed to the world, I think Xbox was the first one that did achievements and achievements sort of took over, right? Everybody was doing achievements and still are. But what if, you know, you got an achievement for doing something in a game and it actually had value in some way or maybe not even value, but rarity or uniqueness and the achievement that you did in the game could be sort of traded like a trading card. All of this has a very dark side to it, mm-hmm. but also there is a really cool aspect of it. I mean, you, you talked about it in the sense of like, you know, what if think of the most iconic, uh, NFL highlight of all time, like the immaculate reception or the catch, Right. If there's one person that could own that highlight, that's kind of neat, right? Or you could earn that highlight and you're the only one that owns it. Now, ownership of the NFTs is a weird nebulous concept, right? It's a bit like owning a star. You know, people sell you own, uh, ownership of stars. Right, right. Like and on the star registry. Right, it's like, well, right. the people who own the registry are the only people that care about who owns the stars, right? right. Uh, and, and, and so it goes with NFTs as well. But as the world moves into blockchain everything, which it certainly seems to be, um, perhaps this solidifies a bit more and there's a, a bit more um, there there, frankly. Um, mm-hmm. Christian, I, I suspect you have strong thoughts about this. What, what makes you think that? Um, I, I'm a, I've said it multiple times on this show and I will probably keep saying it. I'm a big fan of regulation. Um, it comes both from my study and practice of law and just general thoughts on humanity. Yes, regulation can overstep its bounds, but I'm a big fan of it. I think there is excitement to be had with NFT and crypto. Uh, I also think that when you're able just to tweet out a statement that vastly inflates the cryptocurrency that you own, and then you dump it, and then you tweet out something that crashes it, I think you got a problem with that as as a currency. And I think NFTs run into many of those same problems uh, in terms of being used primarily for money laundering, criminal activity, 
scams and the ultra wealthy inflating their own wealth by selling to themselves to create a market for something that regular folk then buy into that only inflates the ultra wealthy's market uh, and wealth before uh, abandoning it for something else. I think there's promise in the idea of ownership of digital assets in some regard, and that I would love to be able to, um, and you can already do this to some extent, and but I'd like to figure out more of it. Like I would have loved to have been able to give you my copy of Metroid Dread, Jeff. Like, hey, I bought it. Here, you play mine. And now I'm locked out of it while you have it. And then you can play it and you be like, I love it. And then be, me being like, okay, you give it back because I want to play it by your own or whatever, right? Or like something like that. I would love to, and they have it on Movies Anywhere already to some extent, like share view or like if I buy, I forget the requirements, but if I buy like five movies within four months, I can loan uh, Black Widow to Tom and Tom can watch it on his right. movie Movies Anywhere. I love stuff like that. I think as more things and- become digital, sharing that digital ownership is cool and important, reselling it, things like and that. And you have- you have a sealed copy of Super Mario Brothers 3. I do. That has gone up in value. You expect to continue to go up in value. And I mean, it, that's not it, why I bought. I feel like that is mostly scams also, to be honest. Well, sure, but it is, it is a physical thing that only has value because other people have des- desire for it, right? Which is how things get value. But... It is an arbitrary thing that was graded by somebody as being, you know, a certain quality level. And so you put faith in this registry to tell you the value of this thing and other people respect that and will pay you that money. I mean, it's the difference between physical goods and digital goods, though, is that no one else has a whatever physical good you want to say exactly the same as mine. There's a great article. It's on The Verge. Uh, the headline's long. The title's long. But it's, I spent hours waiting to find out what an NFT looks like IRL. Um, and it was going to the the first one of the New York had had a big NFT um, events all this past week. And this one was Beeple's $69 million NFT was shown publicly for the first time. And it was this whole NFT art gala event and party and stuff like that. Right. The diff- my, my grandfather, I should also say, was made his living as, as a painter. And there is just a difference in owning a Johannes Clock original and a print. He made beautiful prints. They're right. incredible. You, they, they'd look great on your wall. But there is a difference between the original and that print. There is no difference between the people that was shown at this thing and the one I can look at right now on my computer. The asset itself is the same. The difference in ownership is over the blockchain ID that says I own this thing. What you own is that blockchain number. You can't own the digital asset in that way. And that's where I feel like there's this disconnect between it, where there is no value to the thing other than the idea of value. Well, but that is the same thing. I mean, this is going to get philosophical. Go ahead. Let me finish, (laughs) which is how money kind of began way back when the giant rock fell off the boat, landed in the bottom. People were like, you can still own this rock, even though it's in the bottom of the ocean. But all of that is backed by regulation that backs a thing and allows a system 
to support that evaluation and create and, and prevent things from being snake oil salesmen and disappearing in the middle of the night. And right now, NFTs and crypto are pew pew. The wickety, 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 wild, wild Will Smith should have done the Matrix instead of Wild West. And <laughs> that's where the problem is, is that it is just ripe for the exploitation. And more often than not, folks are doing. But as someone mentioned in chat, this is my last thing. Of course, every public company is looking into it. Uh, they have to be. I think most will mess up. And I hope that regulation comes to this in a major way as it goes forward. Well, it's already happening. I mean, just today I saw that this major IRS form got updated so that you have to report anytime you make more than $10,000 in in any kind of NFT or crypto uh, sale or resale. It's This is inevitable, right? Inevitable that, that the government wants their taste and that there, you know, there will be a clamping down of this, especially if big companies like EA and others you know, start selling this stuff. Um, Tom, do you, taking this back to video games specifically, do you think there is an opportunity to make something really interesting from a player's perspective, or do you think this is all sort of crass and just about money exchanging hands, perceived value, collectability, you know, sort of manufacturing all of those things around something that is just supposed to be fun and disposable. I think, I think that's, I mean, I think that's what it feels like right now. I, I think there's, I think there's a secret sauce there to be found if they can do that, if they can make it feel like I'm the only person who has a thing and then they can make it displayable and show everyone else just like achievements. Um, especially if they can make it unique, like if they can, if they can make it, dis if they can display that I was the first person to, do this thing in this game and get this achievement. And that can be confirmed through some sort of NFT blockchain, some sort of confirmation. And that can be, you know, traded or shared or displayed or, you know, I don't, I don't know what the secret sauce is with that, but if that can be given value and yeah, used in some way, then maybe, maybe there's something there. Uh, my biggest concern with this because we can we can we can write laws around gambling and we can we can maintain that assuming assuming, assuming politicians are doing things for for the right reasons um you know those things can be managed through through law um the problem with this is when you have children doing things in games that are then affecting them and right right you you know like my son my 11 year old is getting on my Xbox account. And now I find out that he's been, you know, gambling, you know, a thousand dollars worth of NFTs or something through Madden. And yeah, I didn't even know it. And, you know, somehow that's now breaking the law. And, you know, like there's, there's a lot of potential for stuff to go wrong with that. If we're not very careful about how this evolves and how this is implemented over time. Yeah. So, well, I mean, I'm, I should probably clarify, you know, I said uh, achievements and that maybe sort of muddied the waters with what it seems to me this is going to be. Mm -hmm. And I'll lay out my, the way I understand this and I could get some of this wrong, but it seems to me the way it is likely to work in the video game realm is that 
you will do something in a game, get an achievement as a, as a sort of a shorthand for, you know, doing something in a game and you will be awarded some cool cosmetic thing that will have a, that will be an NFT, be a non-fungible token. It'll be attached to the blockchain and will have a unique identification so that that is yours, right? You got that. That is yours. We've already seen the the value of skin, you know, Call of Duty gun skins and 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 cosmetic items of all kinds. There will be a a manufactured scarcity for those things. There will, you know, the first hundred people to get this achievement will get, you know, the raccoon face helmet, whatever doesn't matter, whatever it is, the cosmetic item that you can get in game. Those people will have that thing. They will own that thing and they will be able to resell that thing or use it however they want because they earned it. It will be traceable. So you know there are only a finite number of those things. They will be in the game only for the people that own them, but the people who own them could sell them to other people. I think that is how it's going to work. It's not, it's not going to necessarily be an achievement per se that you can sell to somebody. It'll be this in-game thing, this way to trick out your character, this status symbol that is that that is the nft model across a number of verticals right across video gaming and all kinds of other things is bling show who you are and what you've got in a digital world whether it's art whether it's you know your avatar and a number of platforms whatever it is you will be able to have a thing that other people will perceive to have value and that value will be yours to trade in whatever way you want. Trade it for currency, trade it for other items, whatever it is. And so because there will be a scarcity, it will have value. So to me, all of the stuff, Christian, you brought up with art and the fact that it's really indistinguished, all of that at a certain level breaks down because really the only reason that you have value is because you can trace it to the source, right? And that's what NFT is doing too. It's being able to so, trace it to the source. Because if, if you something get- is objectively better than another. If you that's, get a forger who can forge a Van Gogh exactly the same way as the Van Gogh, it is not the same value as an actual Van Gogh. It is indistinguishable to anyone but the most finely trained art historian and yet it is not the same value. Why? Because you can't trace it to the source. It is a different source. And ultimately, that's what this is attempting to do as well. So I'm not, def- I'm not advocating for NFTs. I'm just try- trying to wrap my head around them and understand what the, this new economy that is sort of landing on Earth <laughs> is going to and enveloping <laughs> all of us, how it will affect us. And there's some definitely some cool things about that. Right. There's some cool stuff about that. Um, I we'll think, see how it plays out. We'll see. I, I think there's there is some value, too, in the security around that as well for the developer, because like you're saying, you can make a scarcity around it and tie it to the blockchain. So if there's only yeah. 10 of anything and somebody tries to forge something, then they will know because it is not one of those 10 that are tied to the blockchain. Right. And you can't and forge chat- that. And chat, Zimmy do, Zimmy do makes this point, and so did someone else earlier. Um, you don't need blockchain for that stuff. Like, isn't that already Steam cards? And they're not tied to a blockchain or an NFT, and they're tradable and unique and backed by a thing. 
I, I feel like calling it an NFT and doing this feels kind of like zeitgeisty. Certainly. You've been able to do like Fortnite already does it, right? Um, I haven't played this season because we're in the official too many games uh, festival um, right now. But there, uh, what was it? Uh, Black Suit Superman, I think, was only available. I forget. Uh, a skin I wanted that I played a lot for it was only available by doing the things in the season, and that was the only way to do it. And, and Fortnite has a lot of those. That's just the one that's coming to mind. And I don't have an NFT of that. You know, well, you know, I just have that an, skin. I'm certainly not. I can't an expert. sell it or trade it, but right. I don't think they need NFTs to allow me to do that. Well, I think. I mean, again, I'm not an expert in this. I'm, I'm, you know, wrapping my head around it or, along with a lot of the rest of us. Um, there certainly are experts. I'm a big fan of Kevin Rose's podcast on this on this topic. But um, my my understanding is that this technology would allow you to sort of decouple it from the platform, and you you could theoretically own a thing regardless of how it's displayed or where it's displayed. So you don't, you could take your, you know, if it's, it's tied to the blockchain, theoretically you could take your Fortnite skin and take it anywhere. Right. I, I, again, I could be getting some of this wrong, but yeah, that, that, that is correct. Yeah. Yeah, Anything that's tied to that same blockchain outside of this, like if, if, uh, if Fortnite ties it to the blockchain, then anything else tied to the blockchain could still access that. Right. Through that blockchain connection. So there is a distinction to these sort of established technologies, but there are also similarities. It's, it is the Wild West. I think it's going to become less and less like the Wild West as more and more money is being made around it. You know, it'll draw, you know, flies <laughs> like anything else does. Um, but I, I think it's happening. I don't think there's any way around it. I think, I think it's going to happen. Uh, in the in the video game space, as long as well as a lot of other spaces, um, and I'm trying to learn as much as I can. I'm certainly not a guy who's going to like invest in NFTs <laughs> uh, personally. Um, I I feel like the time to make a lot of money has already passed on this. Whenever I know about it, it means the opportunity is gone. <laughs> that's that's my that's my rule of thumb on that one. Um, but uh, but it's fascinating, and it and it is something that I think you know. Five years from now, we're going to think it was quaint that we kind of didn't understand it fully, you know, like it's going to be so ingrained, I think, in our culture that it's going to be, you know, look back on it and be like, oh, my God, we had no idea. I own the NFT for Jeff saying, oh, my God, we had no idea. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, All right. Well, uh, that is a lot of discussion on that, those topics, but I think those are juicy, interesting, meaty topics. And and certainly we'll be talking about more of that stuff in the coming years on this very podcast, if we're fortunate enough to continue. Uh, But we have games to talk about, actual games. And we'll do that in a segment we call The Playlist. All right, Tom, what has been on your playlist this week? What you been playing? Well, guys, um, I uh, I jumped on the Back for Blood bandwagon when that came out a few weeks ago. Yeah, uh, I, I thought I was Left for Dead, uh, but no, turns out I'm Back for Blood. So, <laughs> well done. I was, I was excited about that. Um, <laughs> Christian so, uh, just texted me the other day that there are more people online playing Left for Dead. Two on PC than there are 
playing Back for Blood. There was a big news thing about that. They put it on sale on Steam and there was kind of a, a big thing. And then the numbers jumped yeah. for a little while. And then I think they've gone back down again. Um, yeah, you know, this game's gotten a lot of like, uh, conf- people are confused. Uh, I've played it a lot. I've put, I don't know, maybe 50 hours in. Wow. Um, I've, I've been streaming it in the mornings on, on my, my YouTube channel. And, uh, I do, I do podcasts about shows other than back for blood. Um, but it's, you know, I just, I love a good, I love a good co-op shooter. Sure. And this has been like the thing that I've been playing lately and, you know, working on different builds for it. And that's, this is the thing that I'm so curious about because I've played a fair amount of back for blood very casually because it's a very casual experience for me. And I, and I, I enjoy that about it, but at the 50 hour in mark, there's definitely you've you've transitioned beyond casual uh, in the game. And I'm I'm curious if the game holds up to that amount of play and in and what you are getting out of it at that point. Okay, so here's what I've learned. What I've learned is recruit works with randoms. <laughs> if you're gonna play Anything higher than recruit, you better have friends to play the game with game with. Okay. Because okay, so week one, this is this is how it went. Week one, if you played on, I believe it's veteran is the second second highest level. Everybody who was jumping into veteran thought that that was the default level because that's the middle one. The right. middle means like normal. Right. And they're getting in and they're going to the first level and they're going like halfway through the level and then they were dying and they're going man, this game's really hard. And it was like, guys, you got to start at recruit. And they're like, but I thought this was the normal level. And it's like, no, guys, this you have to start at recruit. And the game doesn't tell you that. So I thought like, okay, now it's been out for a few weeks. People are going to learn this. They still haven't learned. Nobody has learned that you, hash, you actually have to start at recruit. You actually have to like learn the levels. You have to build a deck yeah. and you have to like get good at the game or at least good enough to know how the levels work, know how the monsters work, know how to build a deck and then get into it. Um, so you can't really single, even if you have a good character, a good grasp of the game and a good deck, it's very hard to jump into the game at anything above recruit with a bunch of randoms. Like it's just such a, I don't know. The the mix is just rough because you you might get a bunch of people who just don't know what they're doing. And it's such a cooperative game. You really need to rely on other people and, you know how you know how it is dealing with randoms on the internet. Yeah, you don't know yeah. what you're going to get. Right? So, are they still are they still blocking progression? Or not blocking, but is progression still limited if you solo play versus if you need to play with others in order to? Um, get, yes. I know that's how it launched. I'm not yeah, sure that's still how it is. Yeah. So if you solo play only with uh, yeah, only with the bots, then you don't get the points to unlock stuff. So you still have to play with other people. But you can totally play with other people on recruit and progress. Like. All of that works fine. Most of the levels with random people on the internet totally works fine. I, in fact, I've played most of most of my group progression has been random with other people. Um, when I have grouped up with other friends and I've tried other content, that works well too because you get people who have who have played. You coordinate, and the the difficulty is ad adequate, and it's a nice challenge. You get on veteran with some friends who have some decks. You try some stuff out. Some of the levels are harder than others, but like. There's there's a good challenge to it. There are some things that still need to be tweaked. They throw a little bit too much of certain kinds of monsters at you, and all of a sudden it gets really hard, 
or you get like a real bad mix of some of the cards, some of the corruption cards, I believe they're called. And like all of a sudden it's like, there's no way I'm just going to run in through all these puddles <laughs> of muck. And I'm like, I'm just melting as things are like holding me in the muck and everybody else is down. It seems like there's just no way this mix is, is going to make it. Is that fun though? Like, because some some games yeah. that are meant to be replayed, and I should also say, I looked up right now, Left for Dead. More people are playing that on There's Steam. Still, still more playing than Back for Blood. <laughs> it's close, but but like there are some, and I I played a lot of the beta or alpha that never played the final release. But I'm curious, like, is that invigorating when it's you and your buddies and being like, oh, we got eight bloaters again? I'm going to use Left for Dead terminology. Sorry. Wait, wait, <laughs> before you finish that question, I, I just want to comment on what you just said. I wonder how much of that is because it's on Game Pass for free, so people aren't on Steam playing it. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't know Maybe. that because that's where I play it. I don't play it on player. Steam. I play it on Game Pass on X on the yeah. Xbox app. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead, Christian. Yeah. Well, just like if that because like if you're uh, oh, here's an analogy that I can make that I that held true for me as I've fallen off the game seriously, but I would do Destiny raids, uh, you know, a decent amount with friends. And for the most part, those were pretty consistent. You knew when the choke points were. You knew when you were going to get the big enemies. But there were some, uh, some parts, I should say, of raids that there did there there is that role, right? And you'd be like, oh, no, we got these enemies here or we're cornered in here. And then, like, it's fun to be able to pull that off because it was different than the hundred other times you've run it. So I wonder if that, like, extra hard enemies in a level is a feature not a bug um to to provide that excitement to replay it yeah I, so I've, I've got so a few things one of the th- first things they did when they when they tweet the game early on was they actually reduced the uh amount of number of similar enemies that can stack at the same time of like this the special they're called uh mutate mutations I, I forget specific words for names for things. So I just make up my own names. Like the little guys that jump out of the walls at you, they're booger babies. They jump out. They're, <laughs> booger babies. Just, they, they're just born out of the wall. They just come flying out. Um, the big explodey guys, they're just, I don't remember what I call them. Uh, big, but Big explodey guys, sounds like. Explodey guys, I guess. Um, so they reduce that a bit. Then I I do enjoy the randomness of the levels. There's a lot more randomness than Left 4 Dead. There's a lot more variety in the way that you can play through a level, the placement of the items, the types of enemies that come after you, the the fact that each of the characters has different specializations, the kinds of weapons that you can get, the kinds of the, the fact that you're even building out characters at all. In Left 4 Dead, every character is basically the same, you know, other yeah. than just their voice lines. You know, right. I still whenever I come across pills, I still want to go pills. Peels, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but like there's a lot more variety and i find that that makes it like infinitely more replayable um i also heck i mean you come across a, a level that you've played before and all of a sudden it's uh foggy yeah and it makes the level feel completely different than when it was all you know bright and sunshiny um so i i do enjoy that because it creates a different challenge on the level even if i'm just taking some newer players through recruit levels again that's more fun even if it isn't as much of a challenge for me because i played recruit a bunch and i have like a very competent deck and i feel like i'm you know like it's it feels like the same thing again but it's not because it feels like it's still kind of new every time so it i don't feel the need to have to constantly be challenging myself at like higher difficulties and really pushing that the way i would with something like destiny raid with a bunch of my buddies i'm 
I'm happy to jump in with my buddies and just play at a lower difficulty to have the fun of playing through the game with some friends rather than the new challenge all the time. So to me, that's enough. That's awesome. I love hearing uh, somebody who's played it that much uh, and you're still loving it and, and playing it actively. So that's back for blood. Uh, which you know, I think has kind of flown under the radar a bit as 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 the big heavy hitters of this season have been released. But uh, it's certainly a game I've gotten a lot of fun out of already. Not as not fifty hours like you, but it's yeah. it's, it's super fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what else is on your playlist? Um, I jumped in a little bit to the new DLC for Elder Scrolls Online. Um, yeah. This is a game I pop into. Uh, you know, I do a Elder Scrolls podcast, the Elder Scrolls Lorecast. So I, I jump in and out of this regularly and the new DLC came out for the Deadlands yeah. where we're returning to uh, Oblivion like in uh, The Elder Scrolls 4. Um, so I jumped into the beginning of that and got into some of the story stuff for that, which is really freaking cool because if you like, you know, Mayroon's Dagon and Daedric Lords and, you know, gigantic looking forearm dudes stomping around and, you know, place that looks like hell with a bunch of Daedra, um, that's pretty cool. Uh, I won't spoil anything, but uh, I I really like the voice acting and the story stuff that they yeah. do in Elder Scrolls Online. I always jump back in for that stuff. I'm not so big on the you know grinding through the multiplayer like the PvP stuff, um, but I I always play through the the story content. I on an infinite timeline, I would be playing a ton of Elder Scrolls Online if I if I had time to just play anything I wanted. I would I would I always. I love that game. I think Elder Scrolls Online is one of the best MMOs that's currently out there. Mm-hmm. And I just never make time for it. There's always something else to be doing. And I haven't installed on my hard drive and I haven't touched it in a long time. But I always think of it fondly. It's one of those games like, I just wish I had time to make it a mainstay of my gaming rotation. And it never really fits in for me personally. But I, I like the game a lot. And I think it does a lot of things very, very well. Yeah, and the creators continue to do a very good job taking you back into the world and expanding on the lore of the world. This is something that I'm super into, you know, and I talk about it all the time on my show. So um, I think it's it's rare that you get something that isn't a mainline game that does as well or better with the lore and the world of the game. And at this point, I mean, you might as well call it a mainline game. I mean, the game's been iterating on this stuff I mean, there's probably more content in Elder Scrolls Online for Elder Scrolls than there is if you add up all the mainline games. Oh, I've no doubt. I've no so, doubt. Yeah. I mean, it, why not? It's it's a mainline game at this at this yeah, point for you know? sure. So yeah, um, yeah. So that that's been a lot of fun. Um, Great. I, I haven't finished the new content yet, but uh, it's been really good. And then I've also been playing Hunt Showdown, which is another one of those go back to games when I just want to, you know run around in a spooky setting because you know it was it was uh halloween so i was into yeah. zombies and spooky settings and uh run around hunting monsters and other hunters and getting shot in the head from 100 yards and dying in one hit and you know wondering well, holy crap where was that guy um i don't know have you guys played any of hunt showdown i have not have you christian i played it uh, as listeners of this show know i excel during betas um <laughs> I, was it released first on pc i think i, I think played so. it in in that window when it was er- technically early access on PC mm-hmm. and I played it with some friends and there was a lot I liked about it, how it kind of changed that, you know, it, it tried to strike its own path in what was already a crowded battle Royale genre. 
And I, I think what it brought to the table in terms of the PVE mechanic to also killing people, it, it felt like this, and not entirely, but it, it felt like kind of a um, evolved, if people remember that game, mm-hmm. or evolve, I think is what it was called, the asynchronous or asymmetrical, sorry, multiplayer game, but then also a battle royale. And I thought that was really interesting of like, and one player wasn't, no, were people playing as do people play as the demons in hunt or no? There's no there's no player that plays as the monster. There's one or there are one or two main monsters on a map. That's and, right. And they're the kind of the and you have to battle your way to them and you're in teams of two. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So yes. you it's you against all the other the other teams trying to get the main monster and then get off yes. the map alive. That's right. And, and you, when you're trying to extract, other people can poach you. Yes. Oh, yeah, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yes. And what I love about this compared to many other shooters is that this game is about outsmarting your enemy. It's not about outshooting your enemy. And you you play Call of Duty, you play, uh, heck, Fortnite. You play Fortnite. And it's really about, like, whoever gets the best shot. I mean, you can outsmart your enemy in, in Fortnite. You can build a better structure and get around them and things. But in this game, more than most of those games, it's not about who who's who's quickest, you know, who's getting the, the best FPS and is fastest on the sniper snipey button. You know, it's about yeah. it's about like the sounds you make and every little sound counts and really just playing the mind game with your enemies and being aware of your environments and triggering the other monsters on the map and just just out playing your enemy and getting around them and using the map mechanics. And, and especially as an older guy now, <laughs> that makes me, that gives me a shot <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> That's awesome. Have you, so you've been with it for a while. Has it iterated? Well, again, I bounced fairly quickly. I think maybe even before 1.0, mostly because my friend's group fell off from playing it. Um, but ha- has it evolved and, and kind of kept up? Yeah, yeah, they've added new guns, they've added new uh tools. Uh, um they've added different kinds of ammo that like there's like incendiary ammo and flechette ammo for shotguns and uh some new monsters that hunt. There's a new map. Um there's like seasonal events and things. This one you've, you're smashing uh pumpkins around the map in order to unlock cosmetic gear and stuff. Um it's been a lot of fun. It's one of those it's again one of those games I just go back to maybe once a year, play for a bit, check out all the new stuff get my butt kicked enough and then i'm like onto something else you know <laughs> again that's hunt showdown and it is what uh tom has been playing christian you're one of those lucky folks that's been playing forza horizon 5 before it's officially out to the masses like me waiting for my game pass unlock i i have before i get to that I, that's that's the that's the dessert don't worry i'm going to gush a lot about it i want to circle back to metroid dread quickly um, from listeners of last week's show were reaching out to me and saying, like, I, I think you kind of got this this wrong. I really loved that last boss fight. I'm going to speak generally here. I do not consider anything I'm going to say a spoiler. Um, the first time through that final boss, it took me a long time. And I don't mean dying and trying again. Like, of course, that took me a long time. But I mean, like, when I did it, that final boss fight felt like it was maybe 15 minutes long. Um, which was a long time to be evading, waiting for openings. It was, you know, attrition, right? I was just whittle. I knew what I, I thought I knew what I had to do and I just couldn't survive long enough to do it. Um, after people reaching out after last week's show, I went and watched a couple of videos with tips and strats on 
how to do that boss fight, which I typically don't do. I'm not above it. You know, I play a lot of games on easy. And if I get stuck for too long, I will, you know, look up a fact. I don't mind. But I like to try um, to get through things myself. And that's how I my first experience um, with Raven Beacon and Metroid Dread went. And then I watched a video and a few videos and I was missing two really big tells in that boss fight that when I saw them and learned them, that 15 minute battle of attrition, I, I ran the boss in six minutes, five minutes, something like that. A very efficient, did not overstay its welcome. It was a very fun progression and build and, and, and destroying this boss on my first attempt. Uh, and I love Metroid dread. Um, (laughs) so it's tough because it's like, I don't want to say that I forgive it's, air quote sins of having, I still think a, a much more difficult boss encounter than any other encounter before that. Cause I, you know, th- the game only shows the player, what the player picks up, <laughs> you know, like I was actively playing it. I wasn't like also watching Netflix and being like, Oh, boss fight. <laughs> like I was into that boss fight, but I also was missing tells that other people clearly saw. Um, so I wanted to throw that out there for people for last week. It is, uh, a very good game, and apparently I played the boss wrong <laughs> my, my first time. So if you are stuck and you have tried what I would recommend our listeners do, if you are stuck and you cannot complete that boss, watch some videos and maybe you two are missing things that will that will make it easier for you. There were two biggies that I was missing, um, and if people want to reach out, we can talk spoilers. I, I'm happy to say them specifically. Um, so that's Metroid Dread. The other big game that I've been playing is a little game called Forza Horizon 5, as you mentioned. Oh my gosh, Tom and Jeff, this game is absolutely incredible. Got a lot of tens as like official reviews from places like IGN, and that made me think about the incredible year of games we've had. How many major outlets have given so many tens this year, which yeah. I think they're all worth it. Um, you know, all well-earned, whether or not they're my personal favorites or not. But Forza Horizon 5 was a game I was very excited for, uh, you know, leading up to the release. And how Playground Games managed to top themselves again, I don't quite understand how they pulled it off. So I am playing on an Xbox Series X. I'm also playing on a Series S. Well, I say I, I mean... My oldest daughter has maybe played more hours of Forza now than I have. She <laughs> loves it. And it is a stunning game. Digital Foundry has their breakdown. and You can go and watch that and dissect it in a way that's um, you know more technical than what I'm going to be able to tell you. But to have the game running at the fidelity it's running, even in the performance mode, which is the 60 frames per second mode, it card games always feel like this, but it is just surreal. The stunning of detail in the world and then the environments that you're racing around. And what I think Forza Horizon five does so well is its environment and bringing the series to Mexico. I feel like it captured a lot of what made three really fun where you have these tropical settings and you're on the beaches and, and not to say England or the UK was, not as interesting, um, but it wasn't as geographically diverse as Mexico and where the f- franchise had been before that. 
And so I think Forza Horizon 4 kind of air quote solved that by using seasons to change the environment in which you're driving around. And while Forza Horizon 5 has seasonal events, you know, kind of those daily and monthly rewards and races that it wants you to do to, to unlock things, it isn't currently doing that weather changing seasonal stuff because there's so much dynamic weather in the maps already and in types you're in a jungle you're in a desert you're on the beach you're in a city all of those things are already represented within mexico and as you're driving around you'll see like a storm roll through and it's like oh oh crap a storm's coming and then that comes in and it changes your driving experience in real time and having that change of you know, whether it's the virtual telemetry on road or whatever it is, is such an exhilarating experience. And what I think Playground Games does so well in the Forza Horizon series and continues to knock out of the park here with five is that balance of sim versus arcade. You can go in and tweak your settings and really tune your car and play in the super hard difficulty and turn off traction control and turn off the drive line and all this stuff and re-race the same race over and over and over again until you know it, you know, like you're on a, a, a track and you're playing that same track over and over and over and over again. But also you are driving a Ford Bronco going down the side of a volcano at 140 miles per hour, right? Like a, a Bronco can't do that. It's a very capable off-road car, but a Bronco is not going 140. But the way it does it, but still has air quote realistic driving physics in that arcade sim, like it's not a drift racer, which I, I love. I love a good drift racer, but it represents this beautiful balance of, oh, you dropped a, a tire off the tarmac and now you're 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 in the rough and how is that going to feel and affect your traction? But also you can go 140 in a Bronco, you know, or whatever it is. Or you can drive a McLaren up the side of a volcano. Like that mix of things is really cool. And they continue to do, Jeff, what they did, what we talked about for Forza Horizon 4. The way they get you into the game is just top notch. I don't want to spoil it for folks that haven't had a chance to play it as it's not, you know, officially out yet. Um, But they do such a good job of just starting the fun. And I think what they did both in terms of gameplay, but then also the behind the scenes things that must have happened was licensing. Like car companies are kind of like video game studios and that people move around and it's a small industry and people are friends, but they're also some pretty hardcore rivalries that have existed for centuries. And to have cars, you know, share a spotlight in a way, I think is super fascinating where it's like, we're going to make this Ford a halo car. And you're like, yeah, Fords. I love Fords. What a great halo car. And then right after that, it's like, but also here's a Chevy. This is what a halo car looks like. And you're like, yeah, Chevy makes some good cars. This is a great car. And then it's like, oh, really? Because this is a Mercedes supercar and those other cars are crap. And you're like, yeah, Mercedes is what, and it's just really interesting to see them balance those brands in a way that is authentic, I think, to those vehicles, but also in a way that, they're not trashing any other cards. Like, yeah, a Mini Cooper S is not going to be able to hold a candle to a Shelby GT500 on a straight line. But they're both fun and rewarding to play, and they're represented beautifully in game and given the care and respect. So if you love that car, 
or, you know, an old, but like a 94 Supra, like you can drive that car and that can be your show car and the thing you're most proud of as you explore the map. And then the last thing before I, I, I silence myself for a little bit, the way that playground games has subtly tweaked over the course of this franchise, the open world mechanic as a whole is un, unmatched in my opinion, where you're not gated in terms of where you can go and where you can explore or even how you progress. You're given, yes, there is progression in terms of unlocking major chunks of the um, festival, but you can choose where you do them, how you do them, and then which parts of the map you want to go and explore. It's not, drive this car, great, now you've learned street driving. Now go, here's dirt. We're going to give you a dirt track. Now you've learned dirt track. It's just kind of this game that is constantly rewarding you for doing what you find fun. And a lot of open world games don't always get that right. I think they want to try to funnel you into what they think is fun or what they think is important for your next step in progression. And Forza Horizon 5 really rewards you for doing what you want to do so much so that just going from place to place is fun and exciting. And they've had this before, but the way they've continued on it is like you've drifted, you had a near miss, you hit a billboard, you hit this jump. Oh, by the way, you just hit a speed trap. You got two stars. You want to turn around and go get that? And then you're like, wait, where was I going? You know, (laughs) what was I supposed to be doing here? But it's all fun. And you've been playing now for two hours and you haven't done that next festival circuit that you were originally set out to do. I love Forza Horizon 5 and seeing this game, the way that Playground Games continues to iterate on an open world, I think the next Fable might be my most anticipated game Hmm. coming from Microsoft because I'm so excited to see how this team learns from this genre and puts it into an adventure game. That's interesting. Yeah, man, how exciting is that? I can't wait for your little Fable character to hop into a McLaren. Dude, I've wanted that game for years. I, I've <laughs> talked about that, but I want a Halo skin. Yeah, funny on joke, but also the open world progression is what I'm talking about, and it's just, it's just a stunning game. And the fact that it runs relatively well on old hardware too. Like, there's not a bad way to play this game. Um, yes, Series X on console will give you the best, prettiest experience. I don't know, but man. I'm a, I'm a play plays, on PC on my super ultra wide monitor. That's what I'm excited. I said console experience. I'm just saying, um, it's. It's real good. It's re- it's still a driving game, Jeff. So, you know, it's yeah. not 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 a driving game, but I cannot recommend Forza Horizon 5 highly enough. Well, it's on Game Pass, so I, it's like it's you know, it's a no-brainer, right? It's a no-brainer. Well, it's 100, it's over 100 gigs, so it might be a tiny brainer for some folks. It's yeah. Why well, pre-installed already? I'm ready ready for it to unlock. I'm excited. Um well, that is uh, Forza Horizon 5 and Metroid Dread is one Christian has been playing. Um, I want to talk about a game, actually, that I was thinking about a lot while you were talking about Forza Horizon 5, because I think there's a lot of overlap here. Another Game Pass game that I feel like could possibly bring people into a genre that they didn't know they liked, and that is Age of Empires 4. This game is incredible. It's incredible, and it is so well done in all of the ways that you were kind of talking about Forza Horizon 5, the way it brings you into the game, uh, the tutorial. This, I think Age of Empires 4 has 
maybe it, it has the new gold standard for tutorials, I think. And the way it just brings you into that world, explains you're playing right away, you're doing fun things right away. Age of Empires, of course, is a storied, uh, you know, uh, real-time strategy game, god game, where you're dealing with massive armies and and, uh, resource management and building structures and creating civilizations. And a lot of those games, I'm a huge fan of the genre, right? I love Civ. I love I love uh all games like that turn based. They can be off putting. They can be I think intimidating to folks that have never played them. Sometimes they can be intimidating to me. You know I I I, I getting a new one like uh, just um what's the last one? Uh, Humankind I think was the was the last kind of new entry into that genre. Very um even though it's very Civ-like, as I was jumping in, I was like, man, all these new systems, I'm gonna have to learn this new, all these new systems. Age of Empires 4 really does an excellent job of contextualizing everything, focusing in and, 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 and explaining why you're doing what you're doing, unveiling it slowly over time, and tutorializing you, bringing you into that game world in a very, very effective way. And then, after the tutorial, which isn't very long, you have this opportunity to play through the campaign or a number of different campaigns, actually, that also contextualize the real history of a lot of what you're doing so that you are getting this kind of awesome history lesson, this this backdoor way of learning about real human history by playing through it. I've often said games like Civilization are a prime example to point to people and say, this is why video games matter. This is why video games offer an opportunity to learn something from being inside the systems. Why do, why do global economies work the way they do? Well, when you have to do it, when you have to actually interact with those systems from the inside, you glean a better understanding of the interconnectivity of all these different factors at play. I, I, I've always pointed at, at Civ as, as a great example of like when people are like, oh, you know, video games are frivolous. Well, no, this is the opportunity they present. Age of Empires 4, I think, does such a great job of capitalizing on that, showing how interesting it can, it can be, but also then wrapping it in these beautifully produced very compelling documentaries, really. There are these live-action wraparounds with wonderful voiceover that bring you in, explain to you the history of what's happening. You you play through these big battles, these big engagements, these moments when these civilizations had to rebuild after battles, all kinds of really cool moments that really happened. And you understand oh, what was the factors that went into play here? How did it affect the geopolitical landscape of the planet at that time in, you know, 1065, whatever? It's really, really, really well done. And I think offers an opportunity to bring people into this genre like never before because it's so accessible. Also, Age of Empires Four. You know, I haven't really, pl- I didn't really play the earlier Age of Empires, or at least I haven't in a long time. So I don't remember them well enough to know if this is a new feature or if I'm just 
enamored with it now uh, with my short-term memory, but it plays so much faster than Civ. Uh, and I think that goes a long way in making it more accessible too. The, the time it takes for you to create a new unit or to build a new structure is it, it feels very compressed in comparison to civilization and, and even humankind. Um, and I think that it feels like you're doing more. You're, you're more actively engaged. Uh, and again, those games are turn-based. This one is real time. So it's, you know, there is a distinction there, uh, but they feel very similarly oriented, right? I think that the game is gorgeous. Uh, it utilizes a really beautiful sort of painterly art style. There's um, when things are being built, there's like the outline and traces of the workers that the, the game sort of uses across, you know, the, it'll use uh, in the documentary sections in the, in the historical context sections, it'll show they'll, they'll have um, actual video or, or um, filmed areas of the world that you're playing on. Like they'll have, you know, they sent a camera crew to those actual places and they show them today, you know, with all the sort of modern buildings that are around them. But then they'll have these like outlines of how it was back then overlaid on top of it. And it's so cool. It's so effective in giving you that context and transporting you back in time through the vision of what it looks like now. The game is really fun. It's really it's really much more accessible than than other games of that genre. And again, like I said, real time instead of turn-based, but I still think people that didn't think that they would like games like this can give Age of Empires 4 a, a shot and I think you may find yourself falling in love with a, a, a genre that is kind of fallen by the wayside. It used to be a big heavy hitter in the days of StarCraft and WarCraft. Um but you know fewer and fewer people play it now and because it's on game pass chances are if you're a game pass subscriber there's no downside in trying it it's uh it's really really an excellent game age of empires 4 i'm so blown away by it what's the um play session length like i feel like for me and i think it's because you know, last time I really tried to play these games, it was just different. Like you like, you'd sit down for two hours, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and, and play through it. Has it, I don't want to say modernized, but it has it shortened that kind of average play session. Well, it depends on the mode you're playing in, right? If you're, if you're playing a start from zero, you know, go through the different ages of, uh, you know, you could actually literally progress through the ages of technology and you can play a very long protracted game. But like these campaigns, this beautifully constructed campaigns where you're you're playing through moments in history, like real, real f battles that happened or, or, or real moments of history. Those can be quite short, actually, very bite sized yeah. and episodic. Right. So you're playing like this moment where they traveled from this place to that place and established a new settlement or this particular battle here that happened and you're going to play through it. Um, those can be, you know, very in length, but they can be actually quite short and, and bite-sized. So if you, if you think about it as a, you know, I'm just going to do this chapter of the, of the campaign in a play session, it, it is not as, uh, I, I think as intimidating a, a, uh, deal as, you know, as a full game might be. 
Have you yeah. have you tried any of the multiplayer? I have not. I am intimidated. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the blunt lightly. That's but, the part that scares me the most. <laughs> yeah, I will get I will get my uh, rear end handed to me, no doubt. Um, but maybe you know, if I play enough of it, I'll I'll feel more confident. And there's just so much game there that I don't need to right i don't i haven't felt the the need to like jump in against hum, human opponents because there's so much game in you know waiting for me without even touching the multiplayer so yeah one of my favorite things to do in those types of games is to play co-op with a human against like yes an advanced ai or oh a my gosh AIs. you're so right yeah that's so much fun yeah sorry go ahead yeah, I'm just I'm just curious if you've tried that, but uh, not with this game, but uh, it's something I I've done with a lot of RTSs. I mean, back to like Warcraft Two, like that was my favorite thing. My we, yeah. <laughs> my buddy and I would go to his dad's office where they had a LAN, and we would yeah, get on yeah. and play as you know partners against the computer, and you just right, rank right. up the difficulty, and it would be so much fun. Company of Heroes. I had a friend yeah. come over, and we'd we'd take on the Nazis together, and so yeah. good. Yeah. Anyway, Age of Empires Four. I mean, an excellent, excellent release that I, th- I think more people should check out. Uh, I also want to mention, uh, before we move on, one more time, how incredibly good Inscription is. This is a game I mentioned uh, a few weeks ago. It's a it's an indie title. I think it's a Devolver-published game. Yeah, it's um, a publicly traded company game Which now. is now a publicly <laughs> traded company. Yeah, pretty cool. Devolver getting big time. Um this is I, I I'm putting it right behind um Slay the Spire as far as these kinds of card-based battle games. And I've played a lot of them, and there are a lot of very good ones. Inscription is phenomenal. I don't know if it's as crunchy. It, 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 you know, there are people who play Slay the Spire, and we've had a number of them on the show, uh, who play it very um intensely and uh, you know, inscription may not have the legs as as far as you know getting really into the number crunchy, like deep, deep play. But in lieu of that, what it brings to the table is so much style, so much ancillary things to do. It, it builds a world in a such a clever, cool way. It's actually kind of multiple different kinds of games all smushed together. I played so much more of it this weekend. Uh, this weekend and. I adore it. I adore Inscription. I think it is such a smart, clever, surprising game, constantly surprising me. The way it the way you power up over, you know, it's a roguelike. So, uh, ostensibly. So, you, you know, as you play more and more and more of it, you get more and more savvy on how to power up more quickly and, you know, the first boss that you know killed me a couple of times when I first fought him. Now I'm like, no problem. And you know, be, be, I finished quote unquote finished the, uh, the 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 first playthrough, and then the game opens up in really cool, interesting new ways. It is a great game if you're even passively interested in card based, turn based games. You have to try Inscription, and I believe it has a demo, a free demo uh, on Steam as well. But it is truly one of the best games I've played all year. Uh, and that is in script, like a crypt shun. That's how it's spelled. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. We do have parting gifts coming up. So stick around for those. 
But Tom Blair, thank you so much for being here, man. It was awesome having you on the show. Thanks, guys. It was awesome being here. I've uh, I've been a fan of your stuff for such a long time. Oh, thanks. And uh, yeah, yeah. Listen for years, years and years and years. And man, and that makes me feel old. So <laughs> well, it makes me feel old. Uh, but we're <laughs> glad to have you. And we'd love to have you back. But in the meantime, tell folks where they can follow you and all of the cool stuff that you do online. Yeah. Um, so robotsradio.net is the podcast network that I that I run. Um, I do a number of shows. Uh, chances are, if it has Lorecast in the name, there's a good chance it's mine. Um, I started with Fallout Lorecast. I do the Elder Scrolls Lorecast. These are all podcasts. Uh, the Mass Effect Lorecast, the Witcher Lorecast, the uh, what else am I doing? I feel like I'm uh, Cyberpunk Lorecast. Um, those are my main shows. Uh, but I have a, there's a whole podcast network that I've I've grown up from the ground up grassroots over the last few years. And so that that's all my stuff. Um, I also stream regularly over on my YouTube channel. I moved it from my Twitch channel over to my YouTube channel on the Robots Radio YouTube channel in the mornings every day uh, before noon Eastern time. So if you'd like to come over and just hang out and play some games with me in the mornings, that's what I do over there. So awesome. That's my thing. And I, you know, I feel like I'm one of those few successes who uh, worked my way out of the corporate world into content creation. And it only took me like 20 years to do so. So, <laughs> well, hey, it's awesome that you did that. That's really, really cool. And kudos. Thanks, man. But, Christian, yeah, thank, you for, thank you for having me on the show. Oh, our pleasure. Absolutely. Uh, Christian, what do, what do you got going on this week? I will be living in Mexico. Um, for a very long time. How does your family feel about that? Uh, my daughter's fighting for the controller to mm-hmm. also spend time living in, did I not say virtual Mexico? Virtual Mexico. Um, i trying to think. Uh, I don't know if there is anything necessarily pop and sweet, but Twitter's the best way to find out. Oh, I know one thing that's happening. Uh, my kids are getting vaccinated. Yeah, my too. We got an appointment. I'm so excited. Or at least my oldest, I, my youngest can't. My yeah. son just did this weekend. Yeah. Yeah, congrats. Yeah. So not a parting gift, but my kids are getting vaccinated for COVID this week. I'd recommend you talk to your healthcare provider and their pediatrician if you have children that are ages 5 and 11 and make the decision that is right for you in your community. And you can follow me on Twitter at Spicer. <laughs> you can also follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Canada, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And I've got some other shows for you to check out if you're so inclined, including my comedy science show. It's called We Have Concerns. Uh, it's a show about interesting things and also making fun of those things. Uh, so you can learn something and laugh along the way. You can find that at wehaveconcerns.com. Also, I do the film cast, which is uh, a movie and TV show review program uh, that I am quite proud of. Check that out. It's called the film cast. Wherever you get fine podcasts, you can find it. Also, uh, I mentioned uh in the NFT conversation that I do a sports show for the fan controlled football network. You can find that on Twitch. Uh, we, we broadcast on Thursdays at 3 PM Pacific time, uh, at twitch.tv slash F C F for fan controlled football. Tons of fun over there. It's a really wacky, fun, cool time, uh, talking about sports and football and all kinds of cool things. Also, I do the Dungeon Run. Uh, dungeon Run right now, I'm, I'm taking a, a couple of weeks off and we're having a, uh, a, um, a two-shot 
that is being DM'd by our own Ron Ogden, who is one of our players. Uh, he's doing this sort of Western-themed uh, two-shot called um, a town called Ricochet, which is very, very cool. So you should check that out. Uh, you can find all the episodes of The Dungeon Run uh, on YouTube or as an audio podcast by searching for The Dungeon Run. It's also on Twitch, Wednesday nights, 6 p.m. Pacific time at twitch.tv slash The Dungeon Run. All right, let's wrap the show up now with our parting gifts. Tom, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? Guys, I'm, I'm so excited because I live in Florida and it actually just got cold enough this week for us to have a fire in my backyard fire pit. Nice. And my wife went out. She got she got very excited about, about fires again this year. And she bought us some uh, Go Fire color packs. Have you seen these? No. Yes. Amazing. Yes, my kids love them. These are these are awesome. What happens? And this, what do they do? They make your fire colors. They yeah. You, you just throw them in the fire and they turn the fire funky colors. What? So we have like blue and green and then regular fire colors in the fire. And I love I love this time of year for fires because it's like you know your family gathers gathers around the fire or your friends come over and it's you know all the magic happens at nighttime. You know, it's gather amazing. around the fire this time of year. It's just it's just. It's just nice and cozy. And if you all have your vaccines, then you can gather around the fire together. That's so it's nice. Like, it's perfect. Go you know? fire color packs. I got to give me I some mean, of those. Yeah, look at that. Look at that. Go fire color packs. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, Christian, did I ever tell you one of the most embarrassing moments of my life uh, was when um, I had some friends over uh, at my old house in Los Angeles uh, right after we had installed our new artificial turf in the backyard because of course you know i live in a desert so we put in artificial turf and we had a little backyard gathering with uh the fire pit and uh king idiot over here with the thumbs old me uh put the fire pit directly over the artificial turf and melted a a little circle (laughs) right underneath the fire pit Literally, like the week after we had our very, very expensive uh, artificial turf put in the backyard, uh, it was my great shame. My great, great shame. It just smelled like burnt plastic. It wasn't the smell that was it was bad. It was just this horribly ugly, melted mess of formerly uh, grass-looking plastic <laughs> that, oh, no. uh, that we then put a um, a very tasteful. Uh, backyard furniture piece on top of. <laughs> it's like that's where the new chaise is going to be. <laughs> uh, we sold that house, so uh, whatever. Uh, not anyway, your problem, not, not your my, problem not anymore. Problem. Anyway, well, Christian, yeah. what is your uh, parting gift? I'm almost certain I've mentioned it on this show before, but I, I tweeted about it and people seemed to resonate with people. So I want to mention it on the show again in case people didn't hear it before. Um, but I want to recommend the originally aired on AMC TV show that ran for four seasons called Halt and Catch Fire. Uh, all four seasons are on Netflix here in the United States. I think it is one of the best television shows ever made. Season one is arguably the weakest. I think season one is still excellent. It's just season one very much has a, um, we need to do X through line. And the other seasons are much more about the interpersonal dynamics of the, the characters in the show. 
And I think Halt and Catch Fire captures the highs and the deep, dark lows of creative creation. Um, probably better than almost any show on television. Um, and I will regularly re- rewatch, maybe on my phone as I play my casual games uh, on Netflix. Mm-hmm. But I will regularly rewatch seasons three and four. Um, but please know that season four is a gut punch. Uh, but it is just an exquisite, exquisite show. Halt and Catch Fire. All four seasons are on Netflix here in the United States. My parting gift uh, is a company reached out to me and uh, offered to send me a product. This company called uh, Grid Studio. Uh, They sent me this thing that they do. Their studio does this really clever thing where they take old technology, like old phones, like the iPhone or old Game Boys or PSPs, and they frame them, but they frame them where it's like the uh, exploded interior tech where they take them apart, post them on uh, a, a very tasteful looking backing board, and then label every component. So it looks like this exploded tech. I have one here. This is what they sent me. This is the iPhone. So if, uh, viewers of the stream can see. Uh, super cool, right? And so those are the actual, it's not a poster, that's like the actual... Yes, it's an actual the, iPhone. Uh, this is a iPhone, iPhone 4S. 4S, okay. That is uh, all the pieces taken apart, labeled. Um, I think it is such a cool art piece for tech dude like me, or tech folks. Um, if you're thinking about doing it, again... Company reached out to me. They sent it to me. Uh, but this is not an advertisement. It just happens to be something I think is really cool. Um, and I may end up getting another one. I kind of want to get a a Game Boy. They were like sold out of the uh, of the DS. I want to get a, actually want to get a DS because that's my like my favorite handheld console of all time. Um, but they have like PSP and Game Boy Color and all kinds of. I mean, they're you you. By the way, you do not supply them with the thing. They have the thing. So I, this is not like my old iPhone that I sent them and then they framed it. They have, you buy the things and you buy it already done. Um, so, you know, whatever they have uh, as for inventory is what's available. And, um, you know, there's a lot of really cool options there, but sometimes they're, you know, sold out of, of certain things. Uh, so I didn't, they didn't have the DS available at that time, but I kind of want to get the DS because it's so cool. Anyway, check it out. It's a gridstudio.cc. So gridstudio.cc. Um, I'm looking at it right now. Like they have, um, they have an N gauge. Oh, I'm sure the, the Game Boy Advance is on here. Grid. How old do I have to be before they do one of me? And they just right. kind of ex- yeah, just I'm one of those bodies that construct you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, again, not an advertisement, but I just think it's it's kind of a rad thing. They have all kinds of phones. Uh, Game Boy Pocket. Um, they have watches. This is Game Boy Color. BlackBerry. Uh, I- iPod Touch. Uh, here's the old uh, original Game Boy. It's, dude, it's, the Game Boy ones are, are so cool. Here's an Apple Watch, first generation. Uh, Nokia, old Nokia phone. Here's a, a, a Game Boy Advance. Um, PSP. Google Pixel phone. I mean, I have all kinds of cool stuff. And 
the the DS Lite was the one I wanted. Yeah, and they, it's sold out. And you look at it on the cool. website too, it's like I couldn't see this when you were holding up yours, but like the the pieces are broken out and labeled too. Yeah. So you kind of yeah. see it, what it, they it's are. It's such a it's cool really like nice. it's an art piece, but it's also one you could stare at for a long time and kind of learn about all the little pieces and components that go into you know, these very common devices. I, I, I think it's would be like a conversation starter. Anyway, again, not an ad, but I was really cool. And they were, it was nice. And then they, they reached out to me and like, we want you to see this. It's uh, like a cool thing to fit in your office. You yeah, know? it's exactly yeah. where it's going yeah. Yeah, <laughs> in yeah. my office. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, we also got a listener suggested parting gift. This comes from Shareable Texas, who says, hey, Shareable Texas here. And as a longtime fan and longtime listener, I wanted to share with the DLC community that I am putting out an EP on November 11th. I am an electronic experimental musician in the Sacramento area. And over the past few years, I've been working extremely hard making music at night while I listen to your podcast during the day on my commute to my day job. If any of you have the time to check out this EP, Side Trips to Saturn, I would be forever grateful. I am doing a fundraiser for the local Sacramento comedy spot for any album sales on iTunes, but streaming it on Spotify works just as well. I've also made a bunch of video game songs in the past, and a lot of my work has been inspired by video game soundtracks. So I think there's overlap and interests here with the audience. This EP is a mixture of many different uh, genres, including synth pop and hip hop. I would recommend it for kids. Oh, sorry. I wouldn't recommend it for kids. <laughs> but if you have a taste for abstract experimental music, you might really enjoy it. I also just filmed a really awesome music video that's shot in black and white and completely done in one take. So if anyone wants their 1917 fix, check out On My Way on my YouTube channel as well. Really appreciate what you guys do. You inspire me to keep pursuing my dreams. And above all, I've been thinking about what I've been putting out into the world and hopefully making it a better place. So that's Shareable Texas. Again, the EP is called Side Trips to Saturn. Love that Shareable Texas wanted to uh, promote their work through our show. So uh, if you, you know, we love parting gifts about stuff that you care about, you think is cool, you want to recommend to the audience. But also if you've made stuff, we want to hear about that too. Send it to us. DLCfeedback at gmail.com is where you send any parting gift you'd like to hear on the show. We love getting them. All right. That's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Tom Blair and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L. Sean Madigan and Zero Star for making those fun bumpers. Thanks to our live audience for hanging out with us in real time, making the show better. We appreciate you. And thanks to each and every one of you that give us your time and put us in your ear holes. We're grateful and we'll be back next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.